Hi, good morning. It's been a tough week, um, I think, for our church uh, in ways uh, that we've had these two people that have gone home to be with the Lord in totally different circumstances, but it's been a, a tough week in that way. You know, we miss them. There's a lot of uh, family members that are grieving um, right now with, with the loss and just missing. And But as we were having worship and I was just thinking of God's love towards us. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then his love was poured out in your hearts by the Holy Spirit the day that you came to know him. And I hope that you're experiencing the love of God and have experienced it this week. But how about the peace of God? Peace with God and the peace of God that we all need daily, don't we? To experience his peace, even in the midst of storms. How about the joy of the Lord? That Jesus says, my joy I give to you. And to be able to have that joy in heart. And I hope that you all have arrived here today. You could say that I do have the joy of the Lord in my heart this morning. And How about God's comfort? He's the God of all comfort. He wants to comfort our heart in all of these circumstances of life. And as we come before the Lord in worship, that's what we should be saying. Lord, would you remind me, would you bring these things to my remembrance of who you are and what you make available to me, to each of us? His love, his peace, his joy, his comfort. And you could add on to that. We, um, we're going to get back to the book of Revelation this morning. We stepped away last week in light of, of uh, Bruce's going home to be with the Lord. But we're going to be back this morning in Revelation chapter 10. Uh, if you could turn there in your Bibles. I titled this morning's message, The Mighty Angel with the little scroll. We, as I've shared over the book, the 22 chapters of the book of Revelation, it is some chronological order to the book, but there are segments of the book of Revelation that are not necessarily in chronological order. But where we're at right now in chapter 10 of Revelation we could say that it's probably somewhere around the middle of the tribulation period. Remembering that the tribulation period spans a seven year period of time. It is still yet future, something yet to come. By chapter 10, in the book of Revelation, we have already read through uh, the two sets of seven judgments that have come down and will come down upon this earth. It's the seal judgments. And also the trumpet judgments. These seven judgments of each. 
have already come down upon this earth, yet there's still another seven judgments that are going to come down when we get to Revelation chapter 16. They're called the bowl judgments, or some Bibles might read the vile judgments. This second half of the tribulation period, it's hard to think, but the second half is actually going to be worse than the first half. Remember that after the rapture of the church, the taking away of the church from this earth, and by the middle of the tribulation period, which we're at this morning, almost half of the world population has perished, been killed, been martyred. That's a lot of people. There's three and a half billion people by the population today. We read, though, in Revelation chapter 9, verse 21, some of the most sobering words we might say in the book of Revelation. It says that after all of this, it says, and they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. They would not repent. You see, when a heart gets hard enough, when a person resists God enough, when a person wants to follow their sin more than they want to follow God, they will not repent. We come to this 10th chapter of Revelation, which actually is going to be all of chapter 10, all the way to chapter 11, verse 14, that we can call another parenthetical section in the book of Revelation. Remember that this word parenthetical, it actually, we could put it this way, that what we see in these particular sections, that it's a pause in the narrative. In other words, we're following chronologically and all of a sudden there's this pause where John receives additional information about what's going to come upon this earth during that time. We read in, in Revelation chapter 11, uh, verse 15, it says, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of the world have become the kingdoms of the Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And as we go forward from that verse forward, we're going to see in the next few chapters, we're going to see that the Antichrist has a plan. But his plan is going to be defeated. God is going to take the kingdoms of this world and he's going to establish his kingdom here on earth. And God is going to do it even through this second half of the tribulation period where he is going to defeat the Antichrist. Babylon is going to be destroyed. We're going to see that all of what transpires is now beginning to come to a close to the end of the age. For the day of the Lord has come. 
In this, the last parenthetical chapter that we looked at, if you remember, was back in chapter 7 of Revelation. It was between the 6th and the 7th seal judgment where we saw the 144,000 Jews that were evangelizing, sealed by God, and in this world, evangelizing. And we also saw in that chapter that John saw a great multitude of people which no one could number from all the nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the Lamb, and they were all clothed with white robes. Praise the Lord. God is going to save people. He's going to pour out His mercy still. During the tribulation period, there will be a multitude of people that are going to get saved during that time. But how much better to receive Christ now? How much better to receive Him now and to go in the rapture of the church and not have to experience the things that are going to come upon this earth during that time? But in this next section, this parenthetical section in chapter 10 and 11... It's between the sixth and the seventh trumpet that we see this narrative stop and this information come forth. We might say within these verses here that there's going to be three declarations that are going to come from God. He's going to make a final pronouncement or announcement upon this world. What we're going to see this morning is in chapter 10... And it's the mighty angel. The mighty angel with the scroll that is opened in his hand. And then next week in chapter 11, we're going to see the two witnesses. They're going to also make an announcement, a pronouncement upon this earth. And then in chapter 11, verse 16, we're going to see the 24 elders in heaven. And they also are going to make a pronouncement. On this earth, we start this morning with that first announcement of the mighty angel. Look at your Bibles at chapter 10, verse 1. I, John, saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. The question in regards to this verse has been asked, who is this mighty angel? In the description that we read in verse 1, there are many that have concluded that we are speaking about Jesus Christ himself, a powerful angel a mighty angel, a messenger sent by God. He says, I I saw still another angel, and this is important. You might underline the word another. He saw another angel or another mighty angel coming down from heaven. First off, what we could say about this angel and whether or not it's Jesus Christ or just another angel, is that we don't find anywhere in the New Testament 
that Jesus Christ comes to this earth and tell the second coming of Jesus Christ at the end. And so in my own looking at it, to me, this does not appear to be Jesus Christ who is standing there with the scroll in his hand. But it does tell us that he is a mighty angel. Now back in Revelation chapter 5 verse 2, we read this. Then John says, Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose the seals? And so we have a mighty angel in chapter 10. We have a strong angel back in chapter 5. It's interesting that the word strong and the word mighty in the Greek, they are both translated, our English word, are both translated from the same Greek word. And so what we're seeing here, I believe, is a mighty, a strong angel that God is using. We also see in Revelation 8, verse 2, that John, he wrote, I saw seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Remember that? The seven angels with the seven trumpets. And then we read, then another angel having a golden censer, this is another one, came down and he stood at the altar And he was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And then looking ahead to Revelation chapter 18, verse 1, we read, After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. Also in Revelation chapter 20, verse 1, John says, And I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, And a great chain was in his hand. That chain is going to be to chain up Satan. Amen? And so what we see throughout the book of Revelation is that God uses angels. He uses his messengers to do what he has said that he's going to do. One possibility for this angel that we read in verse 1, this mighty angel, is that it's Michael the archangel. It's actually his Hebrew name. It means one who is like God. It doesn't say he is God. It says one who is like God. You see, Michael, he was and is one of God's chosen angels for a particular purpose. As a matter of fact, Michael is that angel that God uses to put his protection upon his people Israel. In the book of Daniel, the last chapter of Daniel's prophecy, we read in chapter 12, verse 1, speaking about Michael, the archangel. It says, at that time, Michael shall stand up 
the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. He's speaking about Israel. That great prince he's referred to as who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. And at that time, your people, that your people is Israel, shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. God has a plan for Israel. God didn't make up his plan as he went along because Israel rejected him, because Israel's living in disbelief today, much of Israel. God already had this plan planned out from the very foundations of the world that God was going to save a remnant of his people. And he even has an angel, Michael the archangel, that looks over the house of Israel. Isn't that incredible? God cares for Israel. God cares for you. His hand of protection is upon your life. Amen? We also read of him in Revelation chapter 12, Michael, that a war is going to break out in this chapter in heaven. Think of this, a war in heaven. And we're told that Michael and his angels, they fought with the dragon. Who's the dragon? It's Satan. And the dragon and his angels fought also. There's going to be this battle between Michael, the archangel, and the dragon in heaven in Revelation chapter 12. But it says this, speaking about the dragon and his army, or these other fallen angels, they did not prevail. They never do. God always wins. And aren't we thankful but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old, he's called, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him, never to have access into that place again. John then begins to describe in four ways in this chapter, this mighty angel that he's seen, that was sent from heaven. John says, this mighty angel was clothed with a cloud. Now what's interesting is that clouds throughout scripture, they often speak of a number of different things. They, they speak of God's Shekinah glory that was even in the, in the temple there. God's glory shining forth. And showing his presence that he was there. But it also the cloud that we read about in scripture. Or clouds plural. Can speak of God's intervention. It can also speak of God's judgments. That are coming. We're going to see. In uh, Revelation chapter 11 verse 2. We're going to read about the two witnesses. That are going to be raised up during the tribulation period, and we're told that they were clothed with a cloud. And, or excuse me, they, no, they were not clothed with a cloud. Everyone's shaking their head. No, they weren't. They, they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here, and they ascended to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them. 
ascending up into heaven in a cloud. Remember how we're going to be raptured? The Bible says that in 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, that we, and I believe the we here is the church, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. We're going to be caught up with those that are dead in Christ to meet the Lord in the air, in the clouds. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, we read this, Behold, Jesus is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. Jesus coming with clouds. John goes on describing this angel in verse 1. He says that he had a rainbow that was on his head. A rainbow in scripture. And that's why we have to look at the rest of scripture to, to try to put together what's really what this is symbolizing and looking like. This rainbow that was on his head, I believe speaks of God's faithfulness to his promises and his covenants. What's the first rainbow that we see in scripture? Going back to Noah, going back to the flood, God promising that he would never destroy this earth by flood again. That rainbow speaks of God's covenant and his faithfulness to mankind. This rainbow, or we might call it a colored halo of radiance that was around this angel's head, it may also just speak of God's faithfulness that he's going to fulfill every promise, every prophecy that he foretold in the Old Testament that these things will come to pass. The faithfulness of God. What God says, God will do. We also read about a rainbow in Revelation chapter 4, verse 3, that John saw when he was up, ushered up into that heavenly scene in, in verse 1, that John saw that surrounded the throne. He saw this rainbow that was surrounding the throne of God as he was brought into that heavenly scene. There was a rainbow, we read, that was around the throne, and it was an appearance like an emerald. That's what John saw. The promises of God, even around the throne room, as John saw that vision in heaven. John saw that this angel's face was like the sun which may show even the divine glory and holiness of this angel Michael, that he's actually acting in response to God's holiness. God is holy, holy, holy. He sends out Michael, one of his messengers, one of his angels, and his face is like the sun. Remember Michael's name. One who is like God. But also remember that when Moses 
came down from the mount when he had received the Ten Commandments on that mountain in Exodus 34. We read that when Aaron and all of the children of Israel, when they saw Moses, it says, behold, the skin of his face shone. And they were afraid to come near him. Moses, coming down from the mountain, after he had received that, those commandments, after he had been there with God, he comes down and his face, the skin of his face, is shining. He was in the presence of God, in God's presence. God was revealing himself to him. And here's this angel that has this shine on his face like, like the sun. And we're also told that his feet were like pillars of fire. And pillars always speak of something that is planted, something that is firm, something that has a firm stance. Feet that are stable, feet that are immovable. Feet that were like pillars of fire. And fire in itself throughout scripture. It speaks of the outpouring. Or judgments to come. Purification. And here I believe is even speaking in this angel that is representing God himself. About the outpouring of the coming judgments. The second half. Of the tribulation period. Look at verse 2. He had a little book. Some of your translations might read a scroll. Probably better translated that way. He had a little scroll open in his hand. And he set his right foot on the sea. And his left foot on the land. This little book. It might remind us of the scroll that we read about in Revelation chapter 5. Remember that scroll was written on the inside and the outside and it had seven seals upon it. These were the seven uh, plagues that were going to come upon this earth as they were broken. But it appears that the characteristics of this little book or this little scroll appear to be different. We're told that this angel, Michael, who I believe it might be, set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. It may be that in this vision that John is seeing of Michael, that God is showing his authority. That God is showing that he possesses it all. To have one foot on the sea and one foot on the land. God is in control of all things. Is that your God? Is your God in control of all things? As you look at the world that we live in. That just seems like it is just so. And it is messed up. It's messed up because of sin. But look at our world. That we're, but God is in control. God is in control of all things. And can you imagine what it will be. During the tribulation period. But God is still in control. John may also have been given this image to show that all things are under God's feet. That this mighty angel was given the authority and the power by God 
to execute his plans. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing that God would use you to execute his plan of redemption in this world? God can use an angel. He doesn't have to do it all himself. He can call upon an angel or a legion of angels to go do what he wants them to do. This angel with one foot planted on the sea and one on the earth is given all authority to execute what God, the orders that God has given to him to do. John then sees this mighty angel crying out. Look at verse 3. And he cried with a loud voice, this angel, as when a lion roars. I said, I looked that up. Uh, the roaring of a lion. One person wrote the, the lion's roar is so loud it could be, it's been known to be heard up to five miles away. I don't know that to be true, but that's what it said. The roaring of a lion. This angel crying with a loud voice is when a lion roars. And when he cried out, John heard seven thunders utter their voices. Notice that's plural, voices. John already saw the angel of Revelation chapter 7, verse 2 and 3, who also cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was granted to them to harm the earth and the sea, saying, do not harm the earth or the sea, or the trees till we have sealed the servants of God on their forehead, crying out with a loud voice. And John sees this angel crying with this loud voice, and he likens it to the roaring of a lion. I think that's pretty incredible. Proclaiming what God is about to do. Lions, when they roar, I read this about them. It was, they typically roar when they're proclaiming territory that they call their own. They do it when they're going to warn a rival that's out there. They do it also to scare their prey. A loud voice. The roaring of a lion. I want you to consider the second half of the tribulation period. When we get into Revelation chapter 15, which is the prelude to the, the bowl judgments, and then chapter 16, it's going to be the pouring out of these bowls, of these vials upon the earth. It's going to be horrendous. Something else that we could read about the voice and the voice of God we can see in Psalm 29, verse 3. John hears these seven thunders that are uttering their voices. But listen to what Psalm 29, verse 3 to 9 says. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks 
the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them also skip like a calf. Lebanon and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everyone says, Glory! Just from the voice of the Lord. Roaring like a lion. And then he hears these voices come from heaven. Powerful. Our God is powerful. Just in his voice. Just, just him to speak forth. Even in his creation, he spoke and it was done. In his judgment, the judgments come forth. As God speaks, it will be done. Jeremiah the prophet, he prophesied that Israel was going to be taken into captivity by the Babylonians for 70 years. And Jeremiah spoke, spoke forth the judgment of God among all the nations to whom the Lord had sent him. We read in Jeremiah 25 verse 30. Therefore God says to Jeremiah. Therefore prophesy against them all of these words. And say to them. The Lord will roar from on high. And utter his voice from his holy habitation. He will roar mightily against his fold. He will shout, give a shout. As those who tread the grapes. Against all the inhabitants of the earth. A noise will come to the ends of the earth. For the Lord has a controversy with the nations. He will plead his case with all flesh. He will give those who are wicked to the sword. Says the Lord. What God says he's going to do, he's going to do. He warned Israel. Seventy years of captivity is coming. God warned them. Yet they didn't heed. And neither would they repent. We read in the book of Revelation. It shows you how hard the heart can be. How unwilling to turn to a God of love, a God of mercy, a God of grace. The prophet Joel, speaking of the coming day of the Lord, he prophesied in chapter 3, verse 12, Let the nations be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, go down, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon will grow dark. 
and the stars will diminish their brightness. The Lord also will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and earth will shake, but the Lord will be a shelter for his people and the strength of the children of Israel. Sounds like we're reading the book of Revelation, doesn't it? And that's because what Joel is prophesying will come in that day. In the valley of Jehoshaphat, that day will come. In verse 3 in our text, when he, speaking of this angel, cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. And it appears that these seven voices are distinct voices. Remember, it's in the plural. So who are the voices in plural? And, and what does John hear them say? Might be another question. Now, some have speculated that this is the four angels of Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5. But that's only four, not seven. It may also be the seven angels of Revelation 8, verse 1 and 2 that we read. The seven angels who stand before God. And to them were given seven trumpets. Maybe they're the ones, the voices that are coming forth. In the moment. But we also read in Revelation chapter 15, verse 1, then John says, I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. When that third set of seven vile judgments comes down upon this earth, it's going to complete. What God intends these judgments to do. God is going to bring it down in the second half of the tribulation. And possibly even as these angels are sounding forth. As each one of these bowls or vials is poured out upon this earth. And the wrath, don't miss that. The wrath of God is complete. You see, God's going to bring it to an end. All of this will come to an end. There will come a, a final point at which God will bring it to its completion. And that's what I believe even we might say. Remember I shared a couple weeks ago about the new coming kingdom. And I said a prelude to chapter 10 of Revelation. Because God has a plan. God is going to bring this full circle. He's going to establish his kingdom here on earth. In Revelation 4, 5, John saw in the heavenly scene a throne. And from that throne proceeded, we're told, lightnings, thunderings, and voices. That's what he heard. That's what he saw. These voices coming from the throne. And that's maybe what we're even seeing here in chapter 10. It's also possible that these are the same thunderings and voices that John heard there in that chapter. John then says in verse 4, he says, now. Whenever you see the word now, like that following in the next verse, it's the next thing. The next thing that John saw, now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, 
John says, I was about to write what they were saying, but I, I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. Interesting, isn't it? Because everything that we read in the book of Revelation, John was instructed to write the things that he heard and the things that he saw. And here in this chapter, we're seeing that he's not to write down the things that he heard. I believe he understood what he heard. But then he was beginning to write and he was instructed not to write the things that he heard. Like the sealed scroll in Revelation chapter 5, one commentator wrote this. The contents of this little book that we're reading in chapter 10 here are nowhere revealed in Revelation, but they seem to represent in this vision the written authority given to the angel to fulfill his mission. The written authority to this angel to fulfill the mission that God had given to him. When we study God's word, it's best to say of some things, I don't know. If you always find yourself having to have an answer for everything you read in the Bible, you're probably going to get into trouble. It's okay to say, I don't know. And I'm okay with not knowing all things. I hope you are too, because there's only one that knows it all. I shared in the past, in a past study, a quote that I wrote, as Christians, we don't need to, uh, need to have all the answers. As a matter of fact, there can be a danger for those who feel they need to have all the answers. The book of Revelation has been one of those books for many. It's why we've gotten into trouble. People say they got to have an answer to all these different things. They try to spiritualize, symbolize, do all these things, connect it with this, and they get in trouble. They sensationalize the book of Revelation. One commentator wrote, referring to the verse that we're reading here, this illustrates the principle that while God has revealed much, there are secrets which God has not seen fit to reveal to man at this time. Another person wrote, it's a caution. He says, in regards to this verse, he says, let us not proceed as though all has been revealed. Don't think that you have to. I'm okay, God. I don't know. With that said, it makes us still ask the question, why would God speak something and not want it to be revealed? You see, mysteries are things that God reveals to the church. You can read a number of mysteries that have been unfolded in the New Testament that weren't known in times past. 
Mysteries are meant by God to reveal truth to his church. What about those that don't know the Lord? They remain mysteries. They have no clue. Maybe it's God's way of saying to us, not all secrets are for you to know. You okay with that? God hasn't revealed something to us? Or not all my ways would you be able to comprehend? Are you okay with that? In the Gospel of Mark, in chapter 13, verse 32, we read this. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son of Man, but only the Father. But there are still men and women who try to set dates for the coming of the Lord. Because they want to have the answers to everything. In 1 John 3, 2, John wrote, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. In other words, I, I, I can't put it all together, but I know that I'm going to be like him. In that day when he's revealed. And then in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, we read, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. You see, there's going to be a lot of things revealed to us when we're in our glorified state in heaven with God. Things that we don't know now. Details that we wouldn't be able to comprehend now. And then without delay, the angel makes his declaration. Look at verse 5. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land, he raised up his hand to heaven and he swore by him, that him is Jesus, who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. The time has come. When that angel, Michael, stands and makes the declaration, the time has come. This is it. There's no turning back. We sometimes think that God is dragging his feet. That somehow now that God is just, you know, when is this going to happen, Lord? And God knows the perfect timing of it all. And there is no delay. If any, it's, it's God's mercy upon this earth that he hasn't come back yet. John then sees this angel raise his hand. Some manuscripts read his right hand to heaven, which means that this little book was in his left hand. It's important to see that this angel is swearing by him, by Jesus, who lives forever and ever. You see, you're going to swear by something, it's by him. With one foot on the sea and one foot on land, this angel proclaims with all authority that God is about to take back 
all that has been marred by sin. He's going to take back everything that Satan, the God of this world, with a little g, the God of this world has corrupted. He's going to take it back. He's going to bring it full circle. He's going to take all of these things that we look at in our world and God's going to say, then they're going to know that I am the Lord. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign for how long? Forever and ever. Verse 7. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery, and this is important, this is what could be in all of this, is that the mystery of God would be finished. As he declared to his servants, the prophets, the mystery of God would be finished. Maybe that mystery is the fact that God is going to, and how he's going to do it is to take the kingdoms of this earth and make it his kingdom. You see, God warned his own people repeatedly to repent and to turn back to him. My servants, the prophets, I sent them to warn you. He warned them that judgment was coming, that a terrible day of wrath would come. It's called the day of the Lord. It's what every Jew knew from his scriptures. The day of the Lord is coming. And they knew what the prophets said about it. How terrible it would be in that day. The prophet Amos. In chapter 3 verse 6. He wrote if a trumpet is blown in a city. Will not the people be afraid? If there is calamity in a city, will not the Lord have done it? Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. And then it says, a lion has roared. And who will not fear? The Lord has spoken. Who can but prophesy? Unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. We have the whole Bible. 66 books of the Bible full of the prophecies of God. Telling us what's to come. The things to come. We've been given all the warnings ourselves. This world has been given the warning that Jesus Christ is coming back. That's part of our gospel message. He didn't just come to die on the cross. He did that. He arose from the dead. He went back to heaven. But Jesus Christ is coming back to this earth to take us to be with him. He's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. John was then given this bittersweet message. Look at verse 8. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again. And said, go, take the little book. Take that little scroll which is open in the hand of the angel. Who stands on the sea and on the earth. 
I mean, I, when I was reading this, I'm just getting this image in my head of John walking up to this mighty angel. Put yourself in that place. And telling him to give you the book. Let me have the scroll. I think that'd be a little intimidating to me. But we see John's willingness and his obedience to do as he was instructed. Verse 9. So I went to the angel. And I said to him, give me the little book. And the angel said to me, take, John, take it and eat it. And it will make your stomach bitter. But it will be as sweet honey as honey is in your mouth. The word eat is a Greek word which means to consume it, to devour it, to swallow it, John. And it made me think even in Kyle's prayer about he that has an ear, let him hear. We read it in the beginning of the book of Revelation. And we know that we can all, most of us anyway, hear with our ears. But it doesn't always mean that you're hearing with your heart. And many times we open up the Word of God and we read it and we read it and reread it. And we say that I'm eating it, but we're not really eating it. We're not really heeding what we're reading as we read it. John was instructed to take and eat it. I think we find in Scripture a number of Scriptures that tell us about the Word of God being like food. It's like milk. It's like meat that we would eat. And even Job said in Job 23, 12, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Is that your heart towards the word of God? Is that how you think of the word of God when you open it up? That it's even more necessary than what you put in your mouth every morning and afternoon and dinner. I need the word of God. I need it daily. It's necessary food for my soul. Take and eat it. It's going to be bittersweet though, John. And hasn't that happened to us quite often? There's so many things I could bring to you right now that would be sweet in your mouth. But there's a lot of things I could read you that would be bitter. Bittersweet. Just read of some of the commands. Read of some of the exhortations. Read of some of the things that will cut you to the very core. The bitter things. That we can find in God's word. That don't always set well with our soul. But are you willing to eat the sweet and the bitter? You see to the disobedient. The words of God are bitter. Sometimes all of it. They don't want to hear it. They're death. To the things, to the people that are disobedient. But they're sweet honey. To those who love his word. To those who have hope in his word. Confidence in the word of God. 
And they desire to follow it, to be obedient to it. Have you ever said, God, whatever you show me in your word, help me, Lord, that I might do it? You see, that's the key. Look at verse 10. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and I ate it. And it was as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter, became sick. And he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. John takes that little scroll and he eats it. He takes it in. But he realizes. He realizes what the voices said. He realizes what was there. Judgment was coming. Something that this world, something so terrible that this world has never seen before. Nor will it ever see. But then we read that the voice from heaven tells John. John, you're out on that island of Patmos. You're there working in the mines. You've been exiled out to that island for the testimony of Jesus Christ and the word of God. You're there for that. But John, you're going to still prophesy in my name. You're going to go tell peoples and nations and tongues and kings. And you see, that speaks like a global message, doesn't it? And you know that that global message has been given to you and I. Go into all the world and make disciples. John and history tells us that John was released from the island of Patmos. There was one commentator who wrote on the book of Revelation in A.D. 304. 300 years after the death of Jesus Christ. He wrote about John being released from that island of Patmos. Because at that time the emperor had died. And everything that was against John kind of ended and they let him off the island. Well we also know of the apostle John that he was uh, an apostle there. Uh, a leader there in the church at Ephesus. And it is believed that John after he was released from that island went back to Ephesus where he once again began to proclaim the message of the gospel. One of the oldest living apostles. He was one that died a, at least from what we know, he didn't die a martyr's death. He died of old age. It seems, as I've already said, that we are living in an upside down world. A world that is just losing its way quickly. Can't even define what a woman is. Okay. Can't define when a baby is a baby. Can't say whether it's wrong to steal or not steal. Interesting, it says, and neither would they repent of their thefts. And look what we see in our world right now. I stood over at AutoZone 
a couple of days ago at the register. And the guy helping me just saw this guy walk out with a whole bunch of stuff. I saw him too. I didn't pick up. He just knew the guy had a bunch of stuff in his hand. He just walked out casually. He didn't run. And the guy at the reg register says to me, I let him go. I'm not chasing him. Common. Becoming very common. We're in a world that is upside down and no right, no wrong. They don't, don't know which way to go. God is going to bring it full circle. That's the good news. God's going to take all of this and bring it around. And you see, God's plan from the very beginning is that he was going to redeem mankind. If you know him as Lord and Savior this morning, you're part of that. He redeemed you. And he's also going to redeem a corrupted earth. This whole earth groans waiting for that day of redemption. And even in ourselves, we groan in our bodies waiting for the day of redemption. And God has plans to end this evil and rebellious world that we live in. But you know what it's going to take? Seven years of tribulation. The day of the Lord. Where God is going to intervene into the affairs of mankind. He's going to take back the kingdoms of this world. And they're going to become his kingdom. God's going to intervene. And bring it all full circle. And aren't you glad? I am. He's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. What's that going to be like? A new heaven and a new earth. Where righteousness dwells. Imagine that. No more stealing. No more abortion. No more killing. And that's where we're going to be. We're running a race right now, all of us. Bruce came to the end of his race last week. He came to his finish line. And may we all run hard in the days that we're living in. Your flesh will tell you, slow down. Your flesh will want to consume you with everything this world is surrounding you with. Just cluttering your mind with things that are not of the Lord. He wants to keep you off track. He wants to trip you up. He wants to put you in that place where you'll slow down. And yet the Lord and Paul himself instructing us to run the race and run it hard. Be faithful to the end. Next week, if we're not in heaven, we'll be in Revelation chapter 11. Exciting, a lot of things that we've read here, they're hard things to take in, yet exciting because we know that God's word is being fulfilled. And so let's have our worship team come up. If you're here and you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, come on up front, we'll have somebody up here that'll pray with you to receive Christ.
And if you just need prayer in general, come up. Come up for prayer. And uh, don't leave this place if you're burdened down in your heart. Because that's why we're here, all of us. To pray, to comfort, to come alongside one another. And so let's all stand.